You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Flipping Tables, episode 118. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And we are unusually recording this on a Sunday. We usually record on Saturday, sometimes Friday. We've been hitting mostly Saturdays lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it happens to be Mother's Day. And last time I talked to my mom, which was earlier today, she was still a listener. So happy Mother's Day, mom, and all the moms, but particularly my mom because, you know, it's my show. Yeah, the internet needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> they need to know that I am not some kind of monster. Um, <laughs> speaking of things that are monstrous, uh, this whole talk show.im thing, so we, we stuck it out. We've still been using it, you know, like not a lot, yeah. but we're, we're using it. Um, I'm actually pretty convinced that it is a good channel for background behind the scenesy kind of basically exactly what we're doing. Like yeah. the people who I assume are in there and uh, and have you know checked in and, and reacted are uh, you know people who listen to the show, not people who found it organically through talk show. Yeah, which I just want to re-explain for anyone who doesn't listen regular, like is occasional listener. Talkshow.im is an app that basically works like iMessage, except it's public. And so we set up a flipping tables conversation that anyone can watch at any time. It's like if Twitter let us have little private channels, but public private channels that only we can post in. I don't know. It's weird. It's it's public iMessage is the easiest way to explain it. And yeah. y- you can find the link in our show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 118. Uh, a link. And then right now it's iOS only and you can view on the web, but you can't do anything else from the web. Um, I, I'm sure an Android client will be here before you know it, and maybe they'll actually beef up the web version too, which I would like because I don't want to have to care what device I'm on when I'm doing something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're framing it to be, you know, texting in public. That's like liter- literally their tagline, and, and it looks exactly like iMessage. So it'd be, you know, if they make an Android one, they have to make it look like an Android messaging client. If they make a web one, what do they do? And then it's, it's like, all style well, sheets. Who cares? <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like, oh, you don't text on the web. Like, that's weird. Except you kind of do because you have iMessage. Like, it's a whole thing. Those are all just historical details that don't matter now. Like, I, I can input things that get sent somewhere. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> But it won't be cool and hip if I can't do it from any, <laughs> if I can just do it from any device. Well, guess what? People iMessage from every device. So if that's <laughs> what they want to be, not any device, any Apple device. Yeah. Um, speaking of Apple devices, uh, I, uh, I bought an iPhone. <laughs> you don't have it yet, though, do you? I so totally don't. <laughs> so uh, here's what I'm going to do. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to explain how this came to be. Do a little teaser. And then once I have it, I'll be able to do my whole medium post, like why I switched. Uh, yeah. Why I'm <laughs> switching back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what actually happened is there was some crazy round robin device changing in my home. And I, I'm happy with the 5X. Like I could continue to use it, but I'm not 
in love with it. Like it, especially coming from the six P if I'd come up from a weaker device, I would have been like, wow, this is great. But (laughs) downshifting from a faster device is apparently not a direction I was prepared to go. Uh, and through some like weird carrier shenanigans and stuff, it turns out I can get the iPhone for basically no money to me. Like someone's going to pay for it, (laughs) but it's, it's going to happen like through carrier nonsense. So, uh, I'm going to give my 5X to Susan because the 6P is too big for her, um, which is totally understandable because, I mean, I think it's too big and my hands are quite a bit larger than hers. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, try life with the iPhone. Uh, and the two kind of things that make it okay are one, like she's getting a newer device because she has an old first gen Moto G. Like that was her phone. And, uh, <laughs> Two, they have such an incredible resale value on Apple devices that if the new Nexus comes out this this fall and I'm wildly in love with it, like I, I could just sell the iPhone and then yeah, you can get several hundred dollars for it. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested in the experiment. I'm interested to I love the form factor. Like the hardware is absolutely that's unrivaled. like one of the best form factors they've ever made too. Oh, I love it. I mean, the iPhone in general has always been pretty good, but the 5 and 5S were, like, to me, the best. Like, they should have just yeah. stuck with that, basically, indefinitely. Well, and by not having super thin, rounded edges, you don't drop <laughs> it all the time. That's, well, and it's smaller, so it's got a yeah. better grip, and it fits better in your hand, so it's going to be, like, glued to me. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Um, but I I don't have it yet, because when I called... Uh, my carrier branch and I was like hey carrier uh, can I come in and get this phone the guy damn near laughed at me (laughs) he was like we have been sold out for weeks and we're not even allowed to tell people we're gonna get them again we have to direct you to just ordering it okay I was like okay okay that was my question was (laughs) like is this wild success or wild underestimation by Apple like oh we didn't even make half as many as we thought yeah, uh, I mean, based on the Apple fan blogging, I would say there has been tremendous success. I think this was the kind of success they were expecting with the 5C. <laughs> but it turns out the specs matter. <laughs> it turns out the specs matter. Form factor is super important, but the when you put top-of-the-line specs in this like drool-worthy form factor, you're going to have people who give up their 6S Plus to go to the SE and then just carry an iPad. Yeah, and the battery life's supposed to be even better than the bigger ones, too. So <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it really turns out to be screen because I, I used my... like I was playing with my iPad Pro in bed for like hours last night but since it was nighttime i had the brightness down to literally the lowest possible setting (laughs) and it was still in the mid 90s (laughs) it was just like nothing had happened yeah i mean when you get to a device that size the internals like the computer part of it is still taking up about the same as like in the ipad mini and with all that extra space they just shove more battery in there so yeah the the larger like a tablet device starts to tip where the ratio of screen to battery in like square inches gets closer to one to one. (laughs) Whereas in a large phone, that's really not the case. Um, There's just so much space they can dedicate to battery. Uh, So yeah. Anyway, the long and short of it is I, I paid money for it. I don't have it yet. 
and it might not even be here by the time we record next week. So we'll have to this, wait a while this... to hear about default apps not being an option. <laughs> and I mean, I've been using my iPad for a while now, and there are certain things that I can just tell. I'm like, this is going to be way more convenient on a phone, but this other thing is going to be way more annoying on my phone. <laughs> I think overall, the current state of iOS is more at home on a phone, even though they've been slowly trying to add some sugar for the tablets. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I, so the last side story about this, and then we can get into the show. Um, <laughs> I was uh, reading something uh, in the official Reddit app, which is awesome and does not support the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that horrible scaled up thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm just laying on the bed and uh Susan walked past and you know just she couldn't help it there's a big glowing rectangle and she looked <laughs> down and she just casually my my incredibly nice and normally very polite <laughs> wife just went you got that font large enough, Grandpa? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that's not what's happening. It's this stupid iOS thing where they upscale stuff. You, you shut up. <laughs> I just go browser on iPad for Reddit. I really like the official app, though. It is a good app. And because the they have actually launched on all platforms, unlike Talk Show, <laughs> and it behaves the same way on iOS as it does on Android, which is nice. It's just that it's freaking gigantic. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we have a lot of other mobile stuff to talk about. So bring me into this. Okay. So yeah, we have two major topics this week, and then maybe if we have time, another little tiny one at the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's not hold our breath. So um, this first one is a, a topic we sort of talked about in the past, which is sort of this will touch take over, will tablets replace laptops, will mobile OSs overtake, is desktop going to go away? That kind of, you know, we, we've, this Debate is always happening. It's kind of been done to death in some formats. But there was this article on uh, this learning by shipping with a medium subdomain. I don't know if it's related to medium.com. But no, me medium subdomain is the trendy version of like blog.whatever.com. Really? Where people just, yes, they where they redirect their blog. People used to do this for Tumblr. The difference is they didn't use Tumblr as a prefix. <laughs> okay. That's all irrelevant. The The point is, uh, he's ex-Microsoft, isn't he? Didn't he get let go, Sanofsky? Uh, I know he's former he Microsoft. On, he worked I don't on know Windows 8. Yeah, I don't know if he how he left. But yes, he's definitely an, an old Microsoft guy from... Uh, you know, the late 2000s, early teens. Yeah. Well, anyway, he he created this large post. He called it uh, My Tablet Has Stickers, and he's gone all in on tablet life. And he, you know, it from the what I've gathered from this podcast interview, we've also linked in the show notes, um, he, he kind of has everything. Like, he's, he's got Windows machines, he's got Macs, he's got... Uh, but his main tablet is an iPad Pro, the new you know, 10-inch one. And uh, he, this is a long, thoughtful post about this topic. And I kind of wanted to very quickly summarize kind of what he was getting at before we have our own discussion. Because it's a, you know, it's, there's a lot of similar points, but it's not the tired old, oh my God, I just need a keyboard and a, a, desk, a real man's <laughs> OS. Or, you know, vice versa. I'm sorry, Mike. I have actual work to do. I need a real computer. Um, and really, he's getting at this this whole 
idea of, you know, technology changes and most of the time it's fast but incremental, but every once in a while there's kind of a paradigm shift like graphical user interfaces or the mouse kind of being the most prominent historical shift we've seen. Um, and he makes a lot of comparisons to that, um, you know, touch versus the mouse. Like, um, I like what he says about how the mouse kind of entered the scene and, you know, it was easy as a, a keyboard-driven expert who had invested a lot of skill set in doing things with a keyboard to complain about the lack of precision of a mouse. You want me to click when I can just say exactly what I want to happen? And that this was a mental shift that, like, if you were able to dig up what would have been the internet back then if it existed, um, you would have had people complaining the way they complain about touch. Um, but anyway, he kind of goes through a lot of detail about the nuances of to be a technologist, you have to be change oriented. You need to be willing to give up mental models and embrace new ones if you want to be part of the future. And he sees a tablet focused OS um, as a way forward that's, that in his mind is going to happen. It's not in that, in fact, most of it has already happened. We're just waiting for humans to catch up and be okay with it, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. Technology but, has moved on. Um, there's three like interesting points he brought up. One, he said, you know, people always complain, like, oh, productivity. Oh, I need my like big boy Excel, blah blah blah. <laughs> and he's like, the most common productivity app is email, and most email is being done on phones now. And how much did reading that one blow your mind and two make you want to die? <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, he's right. That is still like the main, because like I use rescue time and it groups like apps and activities and websites and I have to count email as productivity because I don't do that much personal email and I do a lot for work. And I was just like, oh my God, he's right. <laughs> it's totally right. And he's totally right that it's almost mostly done on the phone now. Um, I, I bet the data would completely back that up over like depressingly. So, um, oh yeah. Especially if it's inter, like if I'm emailing a, an outside person, like a vendor or a customer, then sometimes I'll wait till I'm, I'm at a keyboard. But if it's like internal, I'll just use thumb swiping to be like, yeah. like it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, you know, he talked about that. We already mentioned the mouse, uh, um, but then also he said that this debate is so tired because developer needs are overshadowing the vast majority of people. So there's always going to be an argument that developers need a truck. They need file systems of some, you know, whatever, however you work that metaphor out, we need a way to be, have detailed control over what we're doing because we're doing developer stuff. And he's, he's tired of that being overrepresented in the debate because you are a minority you just get that in your head that the vast majority of people will never do anything resembling what you need a file system for. And yeah, there's some nuance there. Like, but, um, and so kind of his broader point is that this is happening, this will happen, and he's embracing it now, and he's sort of documenting what's better and what's worse, and that there are paper cuts now, but I think the broader theme is all the valid things you can complain about for the regular user will be fixed eventually, but they may not be fixed to the satisfaction of desktop man. They will be fixed in <laughs> new ways in OS land. And I, I also shared with you the, the podcast, which did you get a chance to listen through that? I did. Yeah, I actually listened to that before I read the article. And then when I looked at like right at the beginning of the article, he references the podcast. I was like, ah, I did this in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But, you know, one of the points he makes there was uh, just about some of the things that are better on mobile, um, but also that there are things that are just flipped backwards. Like, he, his example was on in pre-GUI environments when you're doing word processing. Instead of selecting text and then applying bold to it, you would say, I'm going to bold something. And then you would go to the text. And that this was just, it's not right or wrong. It was just the opposite workflow. That blew my mind because his point, you know, he's, I think, in his mid-50s. So, I mean, he's been in technology as long as technology has been what we would consider computers, right? Like, yeah. uh, and, And so he lived through that. And I didn't know that that was ever a thing. And the fact that that, point was in a paragraph about how the way things are just seem normal because that's how they are i still couldn't stop my brain from being like why would i select bold first (laughs) obviously i have to select the words first like i i'm i'm looking at him making that exact point and i still couldn't i choose which color highlighter first or i choose what i'm gonna highlight first like ah it can yeah. be either way. In computers, it doesn't matter. It's either way. Yep. Yeah, it was it was very weird. Um, I actually, I, so I was lazy and I didn't put my notes into the show notes yeah. that we're both looking at. But I have that exact <laughs> quote highlighted because I was just like. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of the stuff we've heard about this debate, but I, I'm, I'm inclined to side with him a lot. And part of that I've lived out today when I decided to edit a podcast on the iPad and we kind of had our own back. I didn't do it in the flipping tables channel. Yeah, we totally should have. Um, But, you know, just kind of documenting like, oh, this sucks. Oh, this is harder to do. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But trying to keep that other side of me open at the same time to like, you know, this isn't all bad. There were some things about editing audio that were kind of nice on touch, like dragging the fade felt a little less weird than using the mouse and holding, you know, command to, you know, the way logic does it. Um, it was just like, oh, there's the fade thing, and I just tap and pull it, and now I've got my fade. And I didn't have to invoke a new command. I didn't have to go click and choose it. Um, in a way, it was easier. But there are other things like the, the entire surrounding workflow of making a podcast that currently sucks. Like, <laughs> the, the app I was using, Ferrite, doesn't, do mp3 encoding it does you know it'll compress it but to a random you know aac format we don't use so it doesn't help me it'll it'll export waves but then i need to send that to a a real computer to (laughs) do the rest what if i want to tag my file what if i want to you know do all sorts of other things we have to do for our big boy podcast network um all that currently doesn't exist but there's nothing in principle about those things that can't be done eventually. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, right now I can't do that on the iPad. But it's not, like, impossible. Well, and that's those specific examples, as well as many, many, many other things that people would complain about. It's like, that's literally just a software limitation. Like, could it export to MP3? Yes, of course it could. It just doesn't. Like, (laughs) there are lots of, like, QuickTime, I don't think, exports to MP3. And that's... On a big boy operating system, on a, <laughs> yeah. a big full computer. like So, you know, things like that when someone says, 
oh, this specific feature isn't there. It's like, well, you just described software that doesn't meet your needs, not an entire class of device that is a failure. And I think it's, it's so easy. I'm sure that I have done this. Like, it's so easy to get enough of those paper cuts where you're just like, no, it obviously this platform is just garbage. I I can't, (laughs) I can't even work. Yeah. Um, so he also has this little short list of what's better on tablet and on modern mobile iOS uh, OSs, which he, again, he also went to great lengths to say, this is not iOS versus Android. Everyone shut up, <laughs> which I appreciated. <laughs> um, but, you know, he says connectivity is just baked in from the outset assumed on mobile devices. I mean, yeah, there's a Wi-Fi version of the iPad, but you can get an LTE version. And even though you can get these things on certain laptops or whether it's a card or an adapter, it's, it's just it's never assumed the same way, including with how the software is built and set up to, you know, slurp instead of completely, I don't know, gulp all of your data. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like you use Drop, Dropbox on mobile. It's like, well, if you really need the file, you can choose to pull it down. But by default... Uh, oh, no, I, I follow the feature. I was just the phrase gulp your data that knocked me a little. Oh, it's like, hmm, gross. <laughs> um, so that connectivity, um, instant on and off, even though SSDs have brought this by and large, like my MacBook does not take very long to wake up. It's very fast, but... Yeah, I guess the iPad is a fraction faster to get into something. But you could imagine, so we're like uh, skeptical on this side of history. But on the other side, it'd be like, you want me to what? Wait an extra second? Fuck you, I'm not doing that. Well, uh, one of my friends who works in a facility that where like the computers are basically directly attached to the machines that they operate, um, very much the way like a hospital might do it, um, they have... Uh, Windows 7 on most of them and XP on a lot of them. And he, t- I remember him telling me one time, like, in his personal life, he lives entirely off of, like, modern mobile devices that turn on instantly. And yet when he goes to work, he fully expects to, like, press the big power button on the beige box and then, like, go get a cup of coffee and go say hi to his coworkers. We because forget how embedded take, these are. Yeah. It's unbelievable how, like, that was not that long ago. I mean, it's not like we're in our 60s and that was, you know, the ancient (laughs) world of computing. That was, like, less than two decades ago. That was commonplace. Yeah. Well, and if you are willing to accept the SSD split as a a major divider of that, like, that's even, like, as far as mainstream devices, that's the past five years before regular purchases would have SSDs. Less than even, maybe. Yeah, that's true. And they have also come a tremendously long way. But I mean, even like Windows 7 uh, boots up way faster than XP did. But yeah. when you put that next to like a Chromebook or OS 10, you know, the newer versions of OS 10, it's like, it's, it's, it's total night and day. Well, and also these are platforms that are designed not to need to be turned off. Their power consumption is so low. Their standby is so good. It's sort of like, why would you have to boot to a cold boot unless you did a software update like or you're a podcaster and you restart your computer <laughs> every time to appease the audio gods that would be a crazy world to live in i can't even imagine <laughs> um just a couple other things sanofsky brought up um he, he brought this is one of those points that again i think could be viewed differently dep- depending on which side of history you're on and that's no window management or futzing 
And I can see both sides. I can see the like, so I can't arrange things exactly how I need to see multiple things. And the other side is like, I never have to do that. Yay. <laughs> and um, he really likes the, you know, he, I mean, I'm sure he would agree with the complaints about it in iOS. We were complaining pre-show about the the side-by-side app thing in iOS 9. Um, which, you know, you hadn't, you know, how intuitive it is. You hadn't even stumbled yet onto the fact that you could pin the second app there. Yep. Thought it was just for peeking. But those paper cuts aside, which again are software things that can be fixed unless Apple is stupid enough to never fix them. Um, that aside, um, he, he really loved that, you know, for my mental model for being in the flow of work, I just pin these things and I don't have to worry about the hierarchy, the Z index of the windows, um, <laughs> all of that stuff that we have hardwired in now because we've been doing it our entire lives. Um, future generations may look and be like, why did you <laughs> want to fight with all that needless complexity? Well, this is uh, tiled windows versus, oh God, what's the other term? The, there's, there's, there's the kind of windows that can't overlap, and then there's the kinds of windows that can. And the kinds of windows that can overlap is the one that obviously won out on the desktop. And on mobile, they have gone very much the other way, partially because the screens are so small. Yeah, There's really no benefit to having 30 screens and all you can see is a bunch of title bars and yet people live that way on their desktop all the time well i think part of that's the design of windows really favored maximizing yes until recently they've actually been the innovators on snapping so i want to give them props for that but (laughs) yeah i i have a uh i don't know what this is like a 23 inch external monitor uh hooked up to my my macbook and most of the stuff that's up on the MacBook screen, um, I don't need to see it all the time. Like when we record, it's kind of nice because I have like notes and I have Skype and I have our back channel chat and I have, you know, the recording interface so I can make sure everything is going okay. But most of that I could collapse onto a single screen pretty easily with even just quarters. And if I couldn't see the recording interface, that'd be okay. Yeah. You know, if I, if I had to toggle between chat and the notes like that, that'd be okay. Like I would still pretty much be able to get everything done. And then the vast majority of the time, all that's down there is chat. It's yeah. just like, do I really need chat in front of me all the time? No, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that I don't need that. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, I think the, to kind of step back for a second about this Sanofsky argument. And, um, I think that it helped me it, more deeply realize that um, I can set aside the paper cuts and see that this is the way most people will use computers. And some arguments, the way they already are using computers mostly, um, is mobile OSs and the paradigms that go along with that. And I'm cool with that, and I'm even willing to embrace it, um, even though a lot of my existing work is not yet easy to do. Um, or pieces of it are easy to do, and maybe even certain parts are more fun or even easier than desktop, but the whole thing doesn't quite flow yet. But I can see that it, it will someday, and so I'm kind of 
okay with that. And I'm not telling the people that complain about the current limitations of tablet OSs to stop complaining because they're <laughs> right. Like, yeah, multitasking is still a pain in the ass. Apple and Android both have a lot to do um, to make that way better, but they will. One of the uh, things that seem normal until you actually look at them, uh, quotes he had was about on, and I I know Windows does this similarly, but I just can't think of what it's called. But on OS X, it's, I think it's called a springy folder. So you have a, a finder window open and you have a file on your desktop and you want to drag it into a folder that's in a folder in the finder window. So you can either have that folder already open so that that is the thing you're dropping it into, or you can hover it over like the parent folder and kind of like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> and then it goes, oh, I guess he's coming in here. <laughs> he's waiting it, at the door. Someone go open it. Yeah. And then it opens that folder as if you had double clicked on it while you're still, you know, click and dragging the file. And you can do that, you know, down as far as you need to, but when you step back and you think about that interaction, you're like, this is kind of stupid. Like, who who would think that's an intuitive, super great way to do it, as opposed to, like, on the terminal, just saying, like, MV folder name to folder name. And it just... You're very precise and exact. <laughs> yeah, super precise, super exact. But what if you have a giant messy folder tree and you're not exactly sure where you want to put it? Then you can go, like, traversing. Yeah. I mean, so there are, like, pluses and minuses to both. But the idea of taking a file and sort of tickling a folder with it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get the folder to open up is a little weird like it's a kind of a strange interaction and we just internalized it you just know that that's what you do but <laughs> yeah and uh let's see. hang on i had i think i might have had one other quote or you might have already no no you already got this part so yeah i'm 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 with you that there are lots of pluses and there are drawbacks that do need to be addressed um, the one thing that I think is uh, particularly interesting about his assertion, like devs, you've got to relax, like it's not most people are not professional developers, is being a professional developer basically means entering text into boxes. <laughs> so I really don't know why, other than processing limitations, more development tools don't exist on these platforms. Because you couldn't, you can just like SSH into a Linode box or something. Yeah. But but then you're really not. People are like, oh, I can develop on my iPad, and it's like, no, you can just develop on a computer that's far away. Yeah. But it's really not the same thing. Whereas like you going into uh, to like motion design and stuff, like you actually can do a lot of your work directly on your iPad. Mm -hmm. And that to me seems like the harder problem to solve, but because it's uh, closer to the uh, affordances of a touch device, right? Like a pen or a pencil, you know, it's like, it's, it's the, the, the skeuomorphism is like so, <laughs> so deeply rooted. It seems like they tackled those problems first when creating like a little environment to execute JavaScript in just doesn't seem as difficult. Yeah. I mean, am I, am I wrong? Like, is it, is, is what you do like, uh, do you feel like you could do most of a project on the iPad or an entire project? Um, I mean, the the particulars are like the facts of nature as it are. Um, <laughs> I mean, there there is no After Effects on the iPad. And so I'm not aware of any 
robust motion app. And so it's sort of a fact that no one's made it yet. Um, but the, the tablet, especially the iPad Pro in this direction of like real computing power starting to come to these devices will change that. I mean, once the power is there, um, someone will make the roads to drive on. I don't know. Well, and so you could make um, the artifacts, right? Like yeah, the individual I could do all images. the drawing. There's even yeah. vector apps on iOS now. So, so yeah, it, it seems like we're... We're not there, but that's obviously where we're going. Um, but the dev stuff, I think, is is really just strictly a limitation of need. Um, I, I can't. I think it's probably Syracuse, some 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 Apple person uh, that consistently says, for all of the talk about how you can live entirely off of an iPad, you can't make iPad apps on an iPad. Like yeah. you have to have a Mac. To make an app that runs on the iPad. What what better way to emulate iOS for testing than to have it straight on <laughs> the thing you're building with? I mean, yeah. I know people just tether it to their Mac and they instant preview what they're building, but um, yeah, I wonder if you know one of these WWDCs soon, Apple will just be like Xcode, we did it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are reasons to have your. Uh, development environment and your testing environment to be divorced in some way and uh, there's processing power to compile and and i i know that these are hurdles that exist um the ipad's pretty damn powerful <laughs> like especially the the new pros like i really feel like the like oh we don't want to put too much strain on the little old chip that's in there like <laughs> that conversation is kind of over particularly if at the same time on, on these tablets and smartphones, you're like, look, you can do VR and you can do 3D gaming and you can do all this other stuff. And it's like, what is that running on if not the <laughs> yeah. processor? Like, isn't the processor involved over there? When, even if you think it's still too slow, because I think the iPad Pro is still, it's around or below the Core M they throw in the, the you know, the one port MacBook. Um, on certain benchmarks, I think it's worse on others because it's, you know, it's, it's half the wattage. It just can't possibly yeah. do what is done in a bigger, more heat-friendly format. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, is there a sure bet then these things will get faster that you could ever make in tech? Yeah, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> they will get faster, they will get thinner, they will get lighter. Is <laughs> like You can't short-sail those predictions. Yeah. And so if your complaint rests on the it's not fast enough right now, it's like, okay, then that'll change. Yeah. So here is, I think, part of the current state of things, and, and I'm curious about your, your thoughts on this, because uh, Sanofsky goes into this like a tiny bit, um, but it's really not the focus of, of what he's getting at. So he, he mentions it like in the flow of something else, but uh, something that I thought about is I don't really want to have multiple devices in my workflow, and yet I can't really come up with a good reason why not <laughs> other than wouldn't it be cool if instead of like all these tools you just had a magic wand that did everything it's like yes it would be cool if i had a magic wand that did everything but if i'm building something that requires driving nails and turning screws i don't try to use one tool and do both of those things i would probably find a screwdriver hammer absurd Right, I would want a hammer that's good at being a hammer and a screwdriver that's be good at being a screwdriver. So, to your point about uh, uh, like with podcasts, 
like if the editing experience could be made really, really fantastic on an iPad and then things like exporting and tagging and uploading like that, that's a robot's job. I don't even want to do that by yeah. hand, right? So that's now, software, eat that world. <laughs> exactly. So like now I'm thinking not how do I get this file onto my desktop so I can tag it and put album and art complaining on. complaining about how hard that is to do with iOS. <laughs> right. Now I'm thinking like, why am I doing this in the first place? Like <laughs> software should have already been doing those steps for me. Um, and, and similar with what I mentioned about, uh, you know, like you creating the art assets. So if you're going to do animation uh, in After Effects, because that's your tool of choice, and then you're on the go, it's like, well, I know I need to create all these different art assets before I animate them. I can't animate something that doesn't exist. So I will do my drawing on the iPad when I'm wherever, and then I'll do my animating when I'm at my iMac or my MacBook Pro or whatever. Like there's, I don't, other than certain people will never want to or never be able to live like multi-device life, but I think that argument even kind of, kind of starts to fall down because most people who can afford a moderately powerful smartphone probably also have a computer in their life, like a, a traditional desktop computer. So you, they're already going multi-screen. It's just... That's the we... one I print things from. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the one that connects to the Xerox. But I mean, the question is how much stuff will flow from the uh like the laptop device onto the tablet and even all the way down the chain onto the phone and then how much of it will flow out onto like some cloud service somewhere yeah so that the the laptop won't be replaced by a tablet it'll be replaced by a tablet and a phone and sometimes a laptop and then also sometimes a server and i that like feels repugnant to me and i don't it's just because i want a magic wand i just want one device that does everything but i know deep in my brain that that is stupid and makes no sense i live multi-screen life right now and i'm perfectly happy with it well you also have to remember that tech doesn't happen in the order that someone from the beginning of time with perfect knowledge would choose like (laughs) okay first we'll have these big horrible monitors and these giant like and then later we'll introduce the nice sleek thin thing it's like these things some of these things only exist because we finally are able to make them and then we hash out well we've done this on this because it was the only choice for 20 years and maybe it turns out that it's still the best way to do it but Maybe it was just because that was the only way, and now we have the choice, and we have a decision to make as a culture or as you know in a profession. If you know, there's there's an argument to be made that you know if I'm an animator and I work with other animators or other people in a creative process, we need to agree on our tools, and it can't just be what tickles me. Um, <laughs> it has to be what we all can agree on will work. Um, that we have that conversation, and I, I like your you bringing this up. Like, yeah, it's not that oh, this thing I did on my laptop now needs to work on the tablet. It's, no, where should it work? Maybe it shouldn't be on either the laptop or the tablet. (laughs) Tagging MP3s should not be... (laughs) I shouldn't require a full stack of OS X to edit MP3 tags. I guarantee you, if you Googled around for, like, how do you tag the MP3s for your podcast, the vast, vast majority of people would say iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. 
the best tagging editor that the majority of people consider to be available to well, them is an entire giant bloated behemoth. It's free and ubiquitous, <laughs> even if it's like, you know, using a sledgehammer to do something that you don't need a sledgehammer for. <laughs> <laughs> Every, I just gave that, up halfway yeah, through. Somehow that fell apart on you. <laughs> well, um, there should be a web service that you know I can fire an MP3 for sledgehammers. At. There should be a web service for no. Like okay, when, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I'm I'm cool with Ferrite. The, those developers don't want to re-implement MP3 encoders or don't want to pay the license to Thompson or whoever owns that crap. Um, <laughs> But let me have a share button or an API to fire this resulting file somewhere and give me back my tagged MP3. Seems yeah. like a good job for a server to me. I, I, I know for a fact those things already exist, but it's like, well, those servers have to be running somewhere, so you got to pay something for it. But right. We're all paying is... for processor time eventually at the bottom of it all. Well, I, I wonder if there's any place in this future stack for the the home server right where yeah. you have what essentially is more not like a, a home server like where you have a server closet but like you have a mac mini or a little dell or intel compute stick it's like yeah it's attached to my television i could look at it directly but i don't <laughs> I just use it to like run my backups and you know that's where my my family all dumps photos so that we have like one master photo library that we can all see um you know it's where all the music and the media is for the server in the house like so we can stream it to any television like and that's also where I send my mp3s to be encoded and tagged for my podcast like that your media server can probably also meet that need instead of paying, right? Because I would pay for software once that did that, but I don't want to pay a freaking subscription fee yeah. to just tag MP3s. Like, that's a little bit too granular of a job. Well, I mean, like, we host our podcasts on Simplecast, and they they have some services they provide when you upload files. Mainly, they, they will re-encode your file if it's too big, um, if it's encoded at a higher bit rate than they accept. Um, they want 96 mono. And so they, they already do this, not intentionally solving the specific need we're talking about, but they do this already. And so there's no reason that couldn't be just something they add or include in what they do. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned, hey, you could toss your 500 megabyte wave at Simplecast <laughs> and see what they do with it. And I'm not big on that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I'd solution. rather shrink it first and do the tagging locally before I deal with bandwidth. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I think there's... Oh, man, who was it? We talked about this some number of episodes ago, the the smearing of technology. I, I think that is what the tablet and the smartwatch show more than any other device. Because the phone, just your limited input methods are, and the limited output methods in, in a, such a small screen means, yeah, you could... SSH into a remote box and be a developer on it, but you know, don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could eventually you'll be able to push an Apple pencil against the iPhone screen and, but you know, don't like, like that's just, it's not really great for that because of physics. Like there's just those limitations are not really surmountable until we go to like, I don't know, like a direct brain interface 
the yeah. screen size is is not something software can change. Um, but getting like a notification on my watch and then saying like, oh, that's an email I need to respond to in a detailed way. So I reach for the laptop or like, oh, that's a text message. I'm just going to shout words at my watch or, oh, that's Twitter. I'm going to op- you know grab my phone because I want to use the Giphy keyboard and send a funny Giphy. Like, I'm I'm starting from kind of the same place and then going in totally different directions based on the need, and yet all of those things somehow fall under the heading of computer. Yeah. I'm looking at Simplecast's add a new episode thing, and since we since we roll our own website and we, we kind of like DIY the whole thing, I kind of don't know if you can tag a file directly through their interface i don't think that you can yeah, i don't think they mess with it at all yeah i don't i think they just do the encoding um so presumably if you give them a tagged file they're copying those tags over but what if it's a different format like we are we upload our yeah. episodes ready to go but this is a different conversation yeah um any any other final words on this whole sanofsky topic of mobile and desktop paradigm shift yeah, I, one like just little thing to tie this back to, oh my God, I bought an iPhone, which is <laughs> there are certain things that today are still best and easiest when you have one platform. So like if you're, you know, Apple stuff everywhere, certain things are just going to be easier than if you're Apple here and Android there and Windows in this third place. So I'm that's one of the things I'm actually most interested to see what it's like to have an iPhone is how does making an iPhone improve not my phone experience, but my tablet and computer experience. Right. Like, Cause you currently have Apple devices. So are you going to use iMessage? I do. I have a choice. Isn't that the text messaging app? Yeah. But I mean, will you connect it to your, now you'll be able to use it with your Mac and get even SMS on your Mac. Yeah, absolutely. Why the hell would I not do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as that doesn't make me give up my phone number in some terrible nope. way, like, yeah, so then fine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is, I see no reason not to do that. Um, there are solutions, like third party solutions on Android to accomplish that same goal, yeah. which none of them are great. So having something native, again, like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but then on the flip side of it, I am not willing to get entrenched in any of apple's nonsense that i can't back out of so like i'm not gonna switch to icloud from dropbox like dropbox life baby oh i'm i i'm committed in the apple universe and i still use dropbox yeah Um, exactly i mean i i think certain parts of icloud have actually gotten a lot better that you know they maybe apple will never escape the dark cloud of the that it's been for so long (laughs) but like the notes is so much better that i now use it and rely on it and like it um so like that's one and since notes are just plain text you can very safely invest in that if you want to um and then i can get them out yeah programmatically if you need to um and then but I mean, there's a Google Keep app if you <laughs> like whatever you need to do. No, I I do everything. In, well, I do. I, I use Todoist as my like main thingy. But then my longer notes are in just plain text. So if yeah. Apple Notes are plain text, and I can get them out in plain text, like that's tempting, right? Yeah. Like I can just bark at any of my devices, and words will be there, and then I can see them on any of my devices. Yeah, and I, I could see even iCloud Drive for very specific uses is. 
<laughs> good, but not for the way you use Dropbox. If you want control and access to a file system, Dropbox is your boy. And yeah, Google no, Drive that's, is that's good too, but um, you know, I found on the desktop, Dropbox is a, a better client than Google Drive. Yeah, Google just never really nails desktop stuff. It's great on the web. I love. I use Google Drive constantly on the web, but I don't. We're using it right now. Um, R- right, right at this very moment. Shall we move on to our other topic? Yeah, this whole spec work thing. Man, this whole show's all about you. It's nice. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I, I monopolize. Yeah, sometimes. my my waveform is more full size <laughs> for more time than <laughs> most episodes. Um, this was a something you retweeted, you quote tweeted, um, and and tagged me on, which was uh, this YouTube channel CGP Gray, who does a lot of explainer, you know, very engaging, entertaining, um, slide animation style sort of explainer videos. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we actually linked to some of his stuff as recently as like an episode or two ago. Um, I've, yeah, I, I love his stuff. I haven't been a follower of his, but you know what I've seen is very good. Um, he he's looking for a motion animator, which is why you tagged me on the post. It was like eh eh, uh. and uh, this kind of spawned this whole other conversation because of the way he was recruiting a motion animator. And there's again, there's a lot of nuance here. I don't want to like paint anything in black and white, <laughs> but you know the the main thing that came up was he was commissioning. Um, anyone who wanted to try to get the gig as mo- a freelance motion designer that would work with him on his videos, um, he wanted he he had like a, a seventy second long like video you know true to form explaining what he wanted, and uh, purposely this video had basically no visuals, and he wanted the applicants to animate this video, and it wasn't like an episode of CGP Grey. He wasn't like saying my next episode will be. You know, crowdsourced, <laughs> and some lucky person will just get to give me their hard work. But nonetheless, um, 70 seconds of motion work is a lot of work, actually. Um, I'd estimate, you know, up to even a full week, depending on the concept. And um, part of his, you know, and this will get into this, but he had requirements. He was like, you know, don't use any existing vectors or any other artwork, like make your own stuff. Um, I want to see what you're made of, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, like, he had a section where he like listed off like 20 animals and random objects. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, how would you deal with... Because this is my style. I have rapid fire moments where I say a lot of things. And I want to make sure... Um, there's lots of good intentions here. He wants to make sure he finds someone that's a good fit for his style. And that's understandable. But what's frustrating from a, a, a creator side of things is this smells a lot like spec work. And <laughs> as a practitioner, as someone who's embracing this field, we have to be very paranoid about anything resembling spec work. And there's well, a lot you, of... You've been hit by this in your other life as a musician as well. Like, no, you guys should totally just play in my club for free. Yeah, there's there's very predatory companies that, you know, the entire business model is based on, hey, pay us a little bit. We'll get you this cool show with lots of people that'll show up. And, oh, by the way, you need to bring all the people. And if you don't bring enough people, you don't get paid. And also, you have to hit this threshold before we pay you. And it's just like, it gets shitter and shitter the deeper you go into it. Um <laughs> And I'm not saying this is what CGP Grey is doing. I'm saying this is what we're allergic to. And anything that starts going in that direction, 
um, starts to feel that way, and we you know we kind of go ah. Um, there's also some practical reasons. I don't think this is the best approach to finding a good motion animator. Maybe it'll work for him, and maybe it'll be like, shut up, Mike. He found a guy, and it worked, and everyone's happy. <laughs> shut up. But as a broader trend, I, I find it alarming to, um, for one, if he, if he wants to find someone who's good and can make something in his style, why does it have to be that long? Why can't it be 10 seconds? Why can't it be pitch me on how you would tackle this and maybe create a frame and send me that, and I can extrapolate from that. Um, as a teacher, I know you don't have to make students build the whole boat to know they can build a boat, right? No, full arc or nothing. <laughs> so that's frustrating to me. Um, the other thing is I'm thinking of working animators who have paying gigs that are taking up full time. Um, do they sacrifice a week of paid gigs to maybe get this job? Uh that's a tough call. And so even if you're like, well, that's the risk. Yeah, do it or don't do it. It's your call. Um, I wonder how many good animators won't apply because they just can't afford to take the time out. And I had someone on Twitter say, well, if you don't got time to do the, this process, you probably don't got time for the gig. And I'm like, that's not a good assumption at all. That argument also makes no sense. If you don't have time to work for free, you don't have time to work for money. Like that, how does that follow? Um, yeah. But one of the other things I want to bring up is spec work is something that doesn't only happen to creatives. Um, it does kind of famously happen to them of like, um, you know, very recently on Bits and Pieces, we talked about Adam Levine, the singer from Rune 5, had a songwriting contest. And in their terms, they were going to own every submission, even course, if you yeah, didn't win. Of course they were. And I doubt this was a conspiracy that Adam Levine was like, tented fingers, I'm going to own all these new songs. I'm sure it was the lawyers just like being aggressive as a default stance. Um, but nonetheless, we're used to this crap. Um, but this, it doesn't only happen in creative fields. So um, I was talking to Shelby about this, and we were talking about how you know interviewing for a communication job or a policy job that there are some places that will be like, hey, here's a hot button issue. What's like, can you like take a day and like come up with a comprehensive communication plan for dealing with this hot button issue? <laughs> and at a certain point, you're just employing people without paying them to create things that you can use. Yeah. And, um, or, you know, it could be here's a, here's a question that grant writers have to answer and we want you to provide us a full, complete answer. And so I think the way you get around the, the I would call it unethical um, to do that to people, to basically make them work without paying them. Um, and there, there may be fields where this is a standard practice. I could definitely think of like big time marketing firms that want Nike or want Apple. They want to be their go-to firm when they create ads. And I could see Apple saying, hey, produce us a series of iPad ads and you know, show us your vision for how that works and we want to see some stuff before we give you money. But the difference is that <laughs> firm still has to pay their designers even right. if they don't get Apple's blessing. So that's a bet at the company level, but it's not exploiting individual people. Well, yes, and that that is one of the huge differences is if you are going to employ people in the gig economy, then the way you hire them has to be different because like if, if I'm changing jobs, I can take a vacation day to go to an interview at another job. And if I don't get that job, I didn't just lose a day of pay. And I mean, yeah. I, I should say, like, 
not everyone is even that lucky. Like someone might be on a full-time job, but not get any kind of like sick or vacation. Right. So even that is still like a kind of privilege, but someone who's on the gig economy and they, you know, they're self-employed, they, they freelance saying to that person, uh, Hey, there's this opportunity and you have to put down a job you've already been given to maybe this other thing. That's like that kind of hiring just doesn't seem like it makes sense. Now on the, the flip side, I wonder what your opinion is. So, you don't follow CGP Grey. Um, I, I've been watching his videos for a long time. I listen to both of his podcasts. Uh, I, I like his stuff a lot. And he and I link to a couple things where he talks about uh, his feelings on spec work and stuff in, in greater detail. And one of the things he said was, uh, I think it was on Cortex, was spec work for a newcomer is like your only advantage your only advantage as someone who has no portfolio, who has no history in the industry is I'll do it for less than that other person will. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that as a fair and ethical way to like run society. (laughs) But I wonder if you said, you know, so if, if you're in this position where you're like, I want you to do work for free as your way of applying for this job. Now, I'm not going to use any of your work, right? This isn't an Adam Levine is a criminal thing. This <laughs> this is just like, you know, that's how you have to apply. And I understand that that is forcing out professionals in this field. And that is my objective. My objective is I want this to be a way that a talented non-professional could potentially become a professional because I'm not going to pay you to do this. And this is the only way I'm willing to accept your application for this job, whether it's, you know, music or programming or whatever. Um, Would that be okay? Do you think framing it in the light of, I know professionals won't tackle this. I'm not interested in them. Like, does that then restore some of the ethics to it? That seems like a, a strange goal, though. I don't want professionals. I understand the my budget is this, but he doesn't. He doesn't say how much he's going to pay for this gig, um, which is another part of the calculus of do I gamble on this? Well, I don't even know if he's going to come back and be like, I can pay you ten bucks an hour. Um, <laughs> which um, motion work, if you're if you have skills, you can easily get thirty or forty bucks an hour for your work, or you know, like say three hundred bucks a day if you want to mark it out by how many days it takes to do something. Um, and so that's I, I, I don't know. One of the things that came back on Twitter was like, "Why are you expecting to get paid to apply for a job?" And I'm like, "Nowhere <laughs> <laughs> am I saying I want CGP Gray to pay all these applicants." Um, I still would have questions on the, you know, as putting my teacher hat on the assessment side, why is this the only method you're willing to evaluate people that may want this gig? Why isn't the traditional portfolio plus maybe something very small? Why is that not acceptable? Yeah, I mean, I'm it, and I'm not completely trying to defend him, but I feel <laughs> like there's all this background discussion that I've heard that most people who would apply for this job have also heard and you have not heard, which gives you, I think probably a more nuanced take because you're seeing it as a job application, right? Not as someone who's like, I want to work for CGP gray yeah, and, and follows his podcast and everything. But like he, uh, he did kind of 
say openly, like, this is my idea. I'm going to try. It might be terrible. Yeah. And this so is why he, I liked this being a bigger conversation because I don't think yeah. he's sinister. He doesn't have malice. <laughs> no. I think it's mostly misguided or could be improved or if he's open to feedback, he should take some. Um, but I, I don't think he's, yeah, he's not tenting his fingers like Adam Levine, <laughs> who I previously said also wasn't tenting his fingers. But we now know that he was. Um, and I mean, you're not, you're definitely not the only person who's on that side of the creative work fence where you're like, no, I have a skill just because I, I have been in the industry for a long time or I haven't or I have a huge portfolio or I don't. Like, It's still not fair to expect me to do what amounts to a full job for free. Uh, a lot of other people, the very, very first reply that I can see on Twitter is to apply, do some unpaid work. As someone <laughs> who seems to very much value the time of creators, I'm surprised you'd go this route. So that was the first thing that a person yeah. had to say in response to this. So you're definitely not alone in feeling this way. But there's a lot of really angry people who took not the other side like, oh, well, there's a good reason to do spec work or... This creates an even playing field between new folks and old folks because the the more experienced folks have less time and the less experienced folks have more time. Like, there's a lot of people on the other side who are like, then just don't apply. Yeah, which I, to me, that I hate that argument because that's the same argument of, well, if you don't like what Apple charges, just don't buy it. And it's like, I'm allowed to criticize the iPhone even if I never <laughs> buy one and never want one. Like, it doesn't change the validity or invalidity of my argument about that device and yeah. i think the same thing is here like whether i'm going to apply or not whether i want to or not feedback can still be valid yeah it is interesting to me just as a aside aside uh i looked at where he posted this on reddit and i of course saw it on twitter since i was ccing you um, the kinds of things people were talking about on Reddit, at least at the time that I looked at that thread, were like not even related. Just <laughs> people redditing all over Reddit because redditors gonna Reddit. Like, <laughs> and then on Twitter, even though it's a lot of hyperbole, it's at least on the subject. Yeah, I just I was like, oh, that's interesting. If you want to hire someone. Twitter might actually be better because at least they like know what they're talking about, yeah. even if they're talking about it in an absurdist kind of way. And one of the things he brought up was that, you know, CGP Grey isn't commissioning this and then he's going to use it. He's going to publish it. He's going to take all the money from YouTube for it. Like none of that's happening. And in a weird way, that's almost worse. It's not worse, <laughs> but it's almost worse because it's like make a CGP Grey video and it's never going to be shown to anyone. <laughs> and so, like, if I want a portfolio piece for my own edification, I can pick anything I want to make. And so it's it's a weak argument to say, well, it'll be good for your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a weak argument, but it's at least not... I disagree that it's as baseless as you're working for exposure, because creating something that you then retain the rights to and can do with whatever you want, like that is, there's a, you at least don't come out in the But that's the nothing he gave you. It's something you always oh, have no, no, the no. ability I'm, to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not saying he gets points. I'm just saying his application process, while possibly egregious, is 
not egregious the same way as a scummy nightclub owner who's like, no. you should play for free. There's like execs in here all the time. Like that is a lot, a scummy, scummy lie, right? Like in the beginning yeah. of uh, Chicago when the guy's like, oh yeah, no, I know a bunch of uh, Hollywood people that are totally here. Yeah, absolutely. Now sleep with me. It's like that. That's a, I don't think yeah. CGP Grey wants to sleep with you is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, got it. No, <laughs> he's he's not a, a gangster trying to rip us off, but these are the reasons why I had like a, ooh, uh, this isn't a good look. <laughs> yeah, and it, I, I'm, I'm probably going to end up bringing more and more of this stuff to your table, even if it doesn't <laughs> make it onto the show, because there's you know, since you, you had this career as a musician and now you, you're having this other career, career. like, <laughs> sorry, was that too generous? Um, since you pretended for years to be a musician and now you're pretending to be an animator, um, I, there are just whole sides to this that I have never had to deal with, you know, working for a private corporation or an academia. Like I just, you know, you fill out a bunch of stupid boxes that say where you went to school and then some idiot talks to you for 15 minutes and then they either hire you or they don't like, it's really not a great way to get hired. It's really not a great way to go through that whole process. And I've had some that were good, but you still have to get through like that totally pointless filter of HR where increasingly they're using robots to just filter out based on keywords. And like, it's, so it's, that that method of hire, and I know you're not saying this, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but <laughs> that method of hiring is also not a bastion of efficiency and, and productivity. Yeah. So it's like the only really cool method of hiring I've ever heard, and it requires a lot of time and money, is uh, some development workshop uh, or some development shop, like that you pay them money and they'll like build a thing for you and then you take it and do whatever. Um, I can't remember what company it was, but they they basically just hire anyone who meets like these minimum requirements. So you meet you go through these minimum requirements, you go through like an interview, and then you're not hired. You work for them with like money, like they pay you. Yeah. For like a week or or for the length of like half of a project or something, and that's what they actually make the decision on. So it's like, did you get along with the team? Did you turn out work in a real work environment? Like, li- not yeah. a simulation, but literally a real work environment, you know, and they're paying you. So there's no question about who owns your output because you work for the company during that time. Like, yeah, that's very, very slow and it's very, very expensive, but it seems kind of awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like on CGB Gray's side, like, he, this is, he wants to collaborate with a freelancer who presumably have some sort of arrangement of how much per project this costs and you know whatever that ends up being assume it's like a reasonable rate um is his his cost is you know on his side i I guess he wants to measure twice cut once is kind of the idea behind this i want to really find the right person and not search a lot but you know the traditional the very not traditional because that's not the word i mean the 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 proven way to know <laughs> if someone has skills in the creative world is the portfolio. And that's, that's not spec work. That's what do you got? What have you made before? Like, and while I'm sort of sympathetic to, well, I want to find a newbie because they're cheaper or something. When I don't even know if that's what he's after. Yeah. That was just like a random, maybe this is what someone in this position yeah. could be attempting to do. But what I'm trying to get to is, 
it's not like he's signing a five-year contract with this person. He can do <laughs> one video and be like, eh, this isn't really working out, buddy. Like, I, it feels, it feels like the burden should be on him um, or more on him than on the applicant to see if this works out. Well, so this is an interesting thing about the internet, right? Is uh, with such a large potential pool of people, does it really matter how high he sets the bar? He only needs to find one golden ticket holder, yeah. right? One person who knows who he is, wants this job, is willing to you know meet whatever demands he says is willing to work for whatever price you know he and i'm not saying i'm not trying to paint him in a negative light but in such a massive pool when you only need to find one person that meets these criteria your chances of success are actually maybe not that small it's not like oh i only have access to the designers that live in my city and maybe a few nearby i could get to relocate for a small stipend like he doesn't have any of those kinds of limitations and, and anyone in this position, you know, like relatively well-known offering something that is potentially enticing for reasons besides just the job and money itself. Like he will probably end up getting out of this, what he's looking for without having to make any concessions. Yeah. Maybe there will be (laughs) future times to revisit this, but I, I think the key thing is to try to be ethical in the way you do these things. And I don't, I don't think he's, you know, Satan incarnate or something. Um, but I do, I do kind of question the, the scope of what he's asking for. And it's not the nature of it because he isn't commissioning an actual video. He's not trying to steal work. Um, I believe his heart's in the right place. He wants to find a good collaborator. And it's really just, you know, the fix to me is not that he has to pay someone um, other than the fact that he may just need to do it. Like even if he, someone passes this, um, this test of his, he may find out pretty quickly, oh, this isn't a good fit and, you know, do one video and then go, ah, my search is still open guys. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe this would make sense as a hurdle that wasn't hurdle number one. So it's like once he, you know, once someone in this position got down to like the 10 people they were considering hiring, it's like, okay, now you got to edit this 70 second thing. Yeah. And, but even there, it kind of comes down to, are you commissioning unpaid work? And I want to, like, I think the bar should be very high to when you would ever consider doing that to people and you probably shouldn't do it to them ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost would look forward to going through this so I could see like what it's what the conversation is like with you know like if if I was ever going to like do freelance development to look someone in the eye and be like I'll do this job for like money but I'm not going to just write a bunch of code that you then have the right to do whatever you want with like that's silly right like you're not going to if you went into the headquarters of Coca-Cola and they were like, well, we're considering a redesign of the logo. So give us 10 Coca-Cola logos redesigned. And this happens all the time. And yeah, of course it does. (laughs) So this is my one other kind of like outsider question. Um, Have you ever heard of, or can you imagine it being at all commonplace, like portfolio fraud? where you like you want to get this design job 
So you somehow show up with a portfolio of stuff that isn't really yours or that you didn't really do or that you had a lot of help on or something because you know most people don't like to fire and firing someone is a big hassle, particularly not for like a freelance job, but for like a full-time gig. Yeah. Do, do you think that kind of thing? I'm sure it happens, but I mean, is it could it possibly be common? I mean, you'd get found out so fast. I think the the counterbalance there is the complete and destructive embarrassment of plagiarism. <laughs> that the 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 internet mob is super vicious to any of that. Um, employers are probably most uh, mostly vicious to that. Like it, I think it, especially in creative fields, your reputation definitely matters. Um, and if you have a reputation of a thief, then that's going to really <laughs> hurt your life. I mean, it may not hurt you in the, the, the small gig economy of like, hey, can you make this thing? And as long <laughs> as you can make it, you can make it and who cares? But if you if you aspire to the the more big deal creative projects, then you need that credibility, I think. So, I mean, that sounds like any other job. Like if you're a scumbag, you can get by small time, but you're never going to be awesome. Yeah, unless you're the such a scumbag in such a colossal <laughs> way that you fake it till you make it. I don't know. But <laughs> well, I'm just thinking with creative work, that would be more work than just becoming good in your field. Right? If you do a job that involves like soft skills, then because the criteria for success is so much more like fluid and unclear and ill-defined, you probably can kind of fake it till you make it. You know, I mean, think, uh, you know, catch me if you can style, right? <laughs> uh, but then with, um, with you know, with like what you do, if you were hired and then you're on a team of one where like you have to produce the entire video yourself and then you don't deliver, like you, how, unless you then just pay someone else, right? Like there's no way you can produce the product yourself so you either continue to cheat in a way that is probably not profitable <laughs> or you become good enough to actually do it, in which case, did you cheat? Yeah. Like it, it's sort of – I've heard weird stories about uh, a, you know, a developer pays like a developer in India or China to basically do all their work for them. And you know that kind of person usually gets caught. Subcontracting. And, yeah, they you know they eventually get caught and and are made to be the fool. But I feel like that kind of thing just can't be that common because it's just so much more work than just doing yeah. the work. I think what happens more often it's not the outright complete plagiarism or passing off of an entire thing as your own. It's the inflation of your role thing because like I, I I've started following R a lot resume of resume embellishment. Yeah, and in the creative fields it's. Oh, you were you did this small piece of animation, but you're sort of pretending that the entire concept of this video and all the assets <laughs> that went into it were came out of your head. And you also really, wrote the music and the story, and it sprung forth as a beautiful, fully formed product. There's sort of some lies of omission, or like, hey, what did you actually do on this video that a good employer will actually go through the process of making you explain? And at that point, you either lie or you tell the truth, but. I, I guess this, the the more we're picking this apart, th this is exactly like lying on your resume. Like, what was your GPA in in graduate school? Are they really going to check? Probably not. You know what what was your major? What was um you know what was your role at your last job? What kind of projects were you responsible for? Like, 
I've, I don't, I've given, I don't know how many references across jobs I've worked for. And I think in all of that time, I can remember two of them saying like, Oh, Hey, by the way, that company actually called me and it's, and I still got those jobs. So, you know, I either convince them with my resume or I convince them in the interview or whatever, but I still provided them some amount of assurance that I was capable that they never bothered to follow up on, you know, and then the fact that I held those jobs must meant that their bet paid off. But some sometimes that bet doesn't pay off. I mean, I remember uh, one of the the institutions that I worked for, you would think academia would uh, verify your credentials. And one of the institutions (laughs) I worked for after I'd been there for like a year it occurred to me that they never made me turn over a copy of my transcript. And I was like, wait, this is a college. You just trusted me when I said I went to college. Like you didn't want proof. I mean, just like you could say like, Oh, I have a a bachelor's in marketing to get hired at a marketing firm when really you're just good looking and, and uh, (laughs) you know, a, a silver tongue. Like you might be able to be successful in marketing, being good looking and having a silver tongue, but if it turns out you lied on your application and that's like a legal document that you, you know, like at the bottom, I, the, you know, certify that all of the above is true, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're, they're probably going to fire you. That's, that seems like a fireball offense. All right. You can find the show notes as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables. And for this episode slash one, one, eight, Mike and I both love feedback. Uh, I would be interested in any cool hiring practices anybody's seen because the resume thing seems to suck the portfolio thing is not ironclad and the spec work thing is i think we established it's kind of garbage yeah uh so you can reach out to us on twitter i'm at lions in beta and mike you are at pseudo michael s-u-d-o michael god that's so much better um (laughs) if you want to make sure you never miss an episode if you're still listening in the web browser you can just scroll down there to one of those subscribe buttons and uh, pop it open in the podcast app. Or if you're like me, you're using pocket casts or overcast. I'm, you know, I, th- I think I'm still not going to switch to overcast when I get an iPhone. <laughs> I really like pocket casts. There's no problem with that. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I thought about it. I was like, Oh, I have an iPhone. I could use overcast. I was like, no, I like, I like pocket cast. <laughs> um, I don't have to change everything in my life. Uh, but if you subscribe, it means you'll never miss an episode. They always get delivered fresh to your, your podcatcher of choice, whatever that may be, every single week. Uh, if you want to support us a little bit more, you can leave us a rating and review in iTunes. Uh, there was a big blow up this week because some NPR people shot their mouths off about what's wrong with podcasting. And some <laughs> some tech people got very upset about that. And uh, the long and short of it is you can still help us without spending any money by rating and reviewing in iTunes because they are still kind of weirdly the center of this whole universe. Uh, <laughs> if you do want to spend a few bucks, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of flipping tables or even every show on sunrise robot. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Speckwork Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so much. Could not do it without you. So much love. See you next week.